0: Welcome back to The Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hale. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We started this podcast as an outflow, actually, of the pandemic. we began begun uh, doing... Daily devotions, and as we were having to meet online and unable to gather in person. And and people were encouraged by this. uh, And so we moved it from Facebook here to a podcast that can be uh, more easily engaged and more easily shared. To that end, if you have found this podcast to be a blessing to you and strengthened you in your faith, which certainly is our goal, then I would invite you to share it with friends. Uh, I would invite you to go and rate it and leave a review. I'm told that doing that. Uh, helps get the word out and helps make this podcast more visible. And our desire here is not simply to build an audience or build a following or anything like that. Our desire here at The Daily Devotion is to see the word of God sown everywhere, that it may grow up wherever God intends for it to grow up. And so to do that, it needs to be spread far and wide. So if you wouldn't mind, go and do that for me. That would be uh, a blessing for sure. Feel free to share this and and make the Word of God, not so much this podcast, but the Word of God known. We've been working our way through 1 Peter, and we're coming to the end of 1 Peter. Uh, we're up to chapter 4, verse 7, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. But we're not going to look at all of them today. I'm going to read all of them today because they certainly go together. But we're going to break this up actually into several different pieces, little bite-sized pieces, so that we can think deeply and clearly about what it is that Peter is calling his readers, of whom we are a part, the life that he is calling us to. So let me pray for us, then I'll read this section and offer a few comments to help us understand the life to which we have been called in Christ. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom by your spirit, that I would speak as your words, that we all might be strengthened through the proclamation of your word, that our faith might be grown, that our confidence in the gospel might be further established, that we might learn to live in this life in light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Peter writes, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, here we are and Peter is continuing to help his readers help us understand what it means to live in the light of the gospel. How does it affect our lives that in this present age, in the face of our suffering, that Christ has lived and died and rose again? Yes, we have justification by grace through faith in Christ and and our future is secure in him. But also we begin to see as we read through Peter's letter here that not only do we have this justification, not only do we have this right standing before God, that is most certainly true, but when we begin to understand the gospel, when we begin to understand what it is that Christ has done, what it is that he has ushered in, It affects how we live in this world. He begins this section with these words. In the ESV, it says, the end of all things is at hand. We might more accurately, in my humble opinion, translate this, the end of all things has drawn near. There's a perfect verb there at the end of that clause. The end of all things has drawn near. This is a, an eschatological statement. This is a statement about where we are in kind of the timeline of redemptive history. Peter is reminding his readers that the end is fixed. Christ has won victory. The end has drawn near. And the way these perfect verbs in Greek work is is typically it's something that has happened, already happened, that has present implications. And so here's what Peter is wanting his people to understand and wanting us to understand. Because of what Jesus has done in his life and death and resurrection, he has brought the kingdom. The kingdom has come. Behold, the kingdom is at hand. That was was what he preached. The, The king, the promised king from the line of David who would reign on his throne forever. That one, Jesus, he has come and he has claimed victory for his people. The fix is in. The battle is over. And so Peter says, the end of all things has drawn near, therefore. It's because of this that Peter, and in light of this, that Peter calls his readers to live a certain way. See, the reality of the coming of the kingdom with Christ leads to a particular way of life for us. Now, we often miss this in one of two general ways. We we either live with what theologians call an underrealized eschatology and and what that means is that that we we lack confidence in what was accomplished by the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and this leads to to living in fear and paranoia that the kingdom might be lost, that that somehow we have to do something to contribute to the achievement and to the establishment of the kingdom of God rather than realizing that, no, Christ has done all that needs to be done. David Van Drunen reminds us we pursue cultural activities in response to the fact that the new creation has already been achieved, not in order to contribute to its achievement. This is why Peter says we don't have to live in fear or be troubled by those who would persecute us. Because decidedly what is not happening is that they are somehow resisting or pushing back the kingdom of God in any effective way at all. No. The victory has been claimed by Christ. The victory is certain. And so we don't have to live in fear that either we will be lost or that the kingdom of God or that the church will be lost. The gates of hell may stand against it. But because it is Christ who builds his church, the gates of hell themselves will not prevail. So we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live with this under-realized eschatology thinking that it's on us now to establish the kingdom, that it's on us now to achieve what Christ achieved in his life, death, and resurrection. The other mistake that we often make is is what theologians have called an over-realized eschatology. And, and this claims more than was accomplished in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and leads to disengagement from the world around us. How can we claim more than what was accomplished in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ if he has already claimed the victory? Well, this is where we talk about living in the already and not yet. The kingdom has been inaugurated. It has already come, but it has not been consummated. We are living in these last days where we are waiting the return of Christ when all things will be set right again. But where we live right now, things have not yet been set right. The victory has been claimed, and we are to live in light of that victory But all things have not yet been set right. We are already in this inaugurated kingdom, but it has not yet been consummated. It has not yet been brought to its fullness at this point. And when we we live as if it has, this leads to a disengagement from the world around us. It leads to the church and to Christians not being concerned with the injustices of the world around us, it leads to Christians withdrawing into themselves and not living in the world with confidence, but seeking to leave the world as if that were possible. Again, David Van Drunen says that Christians and non-Christians share many cultural endeavors in common. Christians are not summoned to withdraw into their own cultural ghettos, but their cultural activities are intertwined with those of the world at large. Karen Jobs, the very able and, and wonderful commentator that wrote this beautiful commentary on 1 Peter says this, Peter is saying that because his readers are living in the last stage of a divinely initiated process whose outcome has already been assured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, their behavior should reflect that reality. In other words, what Peter is calling us to is confidently living in the world with a consistent Christian ethic because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's calling us out of the fear of the world, and he's calling us away from thinking that somehow our job is to withdraw or escape from the world. Rather, he is calling us to confidently live, confidently engage this world with a Christian ethic, knowing that when we do so, we will face persecution, we will face suffering, we will face trials. But we can do so confidently because... Christ has claimed victory. So we neither live in fear that something can be lost that Christ has already claimed, nor do we withdraw into the spirituality of the church as if we as Christians aren't called to live in this world in light of the gospel. Rather, we live confidently in light of what Christ has accomplished That will surely be brought to fruition. That's the life to which we are called. That's the confidence that we as Christians are to have. That's the basis for what Peter calls us to in these next several verses that we'll turn to in the coming days. So, dear Christian, do not forget the confidence you have in Christ. And do not forget that that confidence calls you to live engaged in this world in light of the gospel and with a consistent Christian ethic without fear and without trouble, being troubled by this world. Amen.